0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We ask epidemiologist Dr. Colin Furness about the Omicron COVID-19 variant. Will students return to colleges and universities, including McMaster, anytime soon? Canada's jobs market continues to have a lot of holes. We chat with interim federal Green Party leader Amita Kuttner. Learn about SIP Niagara, a cool event that will be held this weekend. And pillow fighting is now a pro sport. I'm not joking. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well,
0: we know that the uh, variants of concern has now arrived here in Canada. A couple of individuals in Ottawa who had arrived from Nigeria have tested positive for this new variant. There is another case in Quebec as well. U.S. President Joe Biden will address the nation later on today about this new variant. And here to shine a little more light on whether or not we should be concerned is Dr. Colin Furness, epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information and the Dalhousie School of Public Health. Dr. Furness, good morning. How are you today?
2: I'm fine, thank you.
0: So should we be concerned about Omicron or is it simply too early and too many unknowns right now?
2: I think it's both. I mean, we know that variants emerge every minute of every day, and for the most part, they don't amount to anything. This one seems different so far because it is competing successfully. So it's got something that's making it successful. We also know that it's got a lot of mutations on the spike. Some we know, some we don't. Um, The problem with mutations on the spike is that the vaccine teaches our immune system to recognize that spike, and too many mutations makes it harder to do. So there could well be some vaccine evasion uh, you may remember uh, the Pfizer vaccine was, was originally 95% effective against COVID, and by the time we got to Delta, it had dropped to 88%. So it could drop a little bit more. So I think that's what we're looking at, and we still have to wait and see. We We still need to do some more measurement.
0: So these mutations act as a mask on the spike protein. Is that a good analogy?
2: They do. That's, that's an excellent analogy. At the same time, they're also functional. So they, they act as a mask, but they're making the virus behave in a different way. That's why this one's able to compete, and it may have some other properties. Now, I've heard, uh, it, there's a, quite a rumor built mill in the scientific community, I've heard that this is creating more mild disease. That's a possibility. It's also possible that the symptoms are just going to be different. We don't know, and, and I think we, we probably, we, there's no need to catastrophize. I think we just have to wait and see.
0: How long is it going to take to get all that info on Omicron? Can we use Delta and some of the other variants to base that knowledge on?
2: A little bit. I mean, the first thing is lab studies to expose uh, this new variant to antibodies of the shape that are made by by the immune system with the vaccine and see how well they stick together. So that's the first thing is just a laboratory test to see what is, what is our sense of vaccine resistance. I think that's number one. And number two is we're going to have to measure how much it's spreading in the community? I mean, with, with the variants that we have so far, we've known what the pattern looks like. They they start small, and then all of a sudden they're dominant. So we'll have to wait and see if this is uh, if this is that too, and then watch for the symptoms.
0: Dr. Colin Furness is our guest, epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information and the Dalai Lana School of Public Health. We're chatting about the Omicron COVID-19 variant that has now arrived in Ontario, and, and that should come as no surprise. If this is a variant of concern, we saw it with Delta spreading very quickly. This is already spreading into Canada, European countries, Southern Africa. It's on the move.
2: It certainly is, and it's because people are on the move. Uh, there's no question that it, uh, the, the, the pandemic is really facilitated by travel. Right? There's no question. It, the, the virus doesn't move by itself; it, it moves with people, and and so in a sense that's inevitable. But I'm glad we have our border restrictions up. I think at the very least, it's a good dress rehearsal for a more urgent situation. It's not something we've been very good at. I hope we up our game, and I, I hope the variant turns out to be something such that we can drop the travel restrictions, maybe acknowledge airborne, maybe up our game in terms of how we manage COVID. Maybe that's a good response. Um, and and keep on going.
0: Have we learned anything from Delta that we can apply to Omicron?
2: I think we learned that our, our control measures work. Uh, they their existing measures work fairly well. But we, it's, it's taken just sort of a little bit more, I think, to up our game with respect to uh, vaccination. So vaccination has been a really important weapon against Delta. So I think we need to redouble our efforts to get that last several percent of people vaccinated, to get our kids vaccinated. This becomes quite urgent. And, again, if, if it were up to me, I would say let's acknowledge that, that there's airborne transmission. Let's work on air quality. Let's have HEPA filters in restaurants. There's there's ways we can be smarter, whether it's Delta or Omicron or another variant, we, we have knowledge we're not using. And I think if we did, we would get the upper hand fairly quickly.
0: Are you, you know, I, I, I think from a, you know, transportation and an economy standpoint, it's kind of hard to close all borders everywhere. But do you think that would work even for a couple of weeks? Is that feasible?
2: I think what we're trying to accomplish with, with closing borders or limiting travel, right, is, uh, we, is delay. We buy time. I, I don't think you're going to ever keep it out. Even New Zealand, you know, on the other side of the world with incredibly tight controls had a really hard time keeping COVID out. So I think you need to be reasonable about it and in your expectations. Buying time matters. I mean, that gives us that gives us time to uh, measure what the impact is, to adjust our interventions, to be ready, and for Pfizer and Moderna and others to start tweaking their vaccine formula if they need to. So time is, is valuable, and if we can forestall it a bit, I think that's, that's it's worth doing.
0: You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're chatting about the Omicron COVID-19 variants that has emerged from South Africa, or at least identified in South Africa originally, has now arrived in Canada. Our guest is Dr. Colin Furness, epidemiologist and assistant professor at the U of T's Faculty of Information and the Dalhousie School of Public Health. We're going to hear later this morning from Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health. What do you expect to hear from Dr. Kieran Moore today?
2: Well, I guess I, I always snap to what I hope to hear, and I keep going back to my broken record thing—that airborne transmission. Let's let's fight COVID uh, on COVID's terms. I think that would be the, the most important thing. What, he, what I would expect from him probably uh, a reinforcement of the message that vaccination is really important, probably some reassuring messaging um, about the the measurement that we're doing and the surveillance that we're doing, Uh, probably some reassurance that we have testing capacity. These would be sort of normal talking points. Uh, But again, what I'm hoping for is that we're going to do a better job of of using our science, using our knowledge to deal with COVID. And I'm talking specifically about air quality.
0: Too early to think about lockdowns at this point or, or added restrictions?
2: That seems really unlikely. I think at this point in the pandemic, any government that has to do that has just failed, uh, just failed in terms of reasonable policy. In Ontario, our policies right now are not unreasonable. I mean, we, we continue with masking. We didn't make that mistake. I don't think that, that we need to be talking that way at all. Uh, it would astonish me if, if this variant were so different that we that we were pushed back that far that that seems to me to be really improbable.
0: Well, that's good news, Dr. Furness. Thank you very much for your time today, and enjoy the rest of your day.
2: My pleasure. You too. Thank
0: you. That is Dr. Colin Furness, epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information and the Dalhousie School of Public Health, chatting to us about the newest variant of concern.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Ontario's Minister of Colleges and Universities says post-secondary students need to get back into the classroom. Sean Van Kunit is the Associate Vice President of Students and Learning and Dean of Students at McMaster and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Sean. Morning. So we've heard from uh, Minister Jill Dunlop, who wants in-class learning to resume. Um, Some post-secondary institutions, I believe, are doing so, others are not. Um, What's the situation at McMaster, and do you agree that it's time to get kids back into class?
3: Yeah, well, we're planning, and we have been planning since, uh, I'm I'm trying to go back now, you lose track of time, but uh, uh, in the summer, really, uh, looking at January is the time when we would get back to in-person learning. And, and that's what we are in, intending to do for January. We've told students that they should uh, should plan accordingly.
0: So what has to happen before January for, for not only the school, but for students to get ready?
3: Well, I mean, we're, we're ready. I mean, the, the facilities are ready. Uh, there has been uh, uh, work done over the course of the pandemic, things like filtration, uh, HVAC systems and the in the classrooms, we have our cleaning uh, protocols all in place. Uh, people are, are familiar with all the, the masking. We, we put our vaccine mandate in place, of course, uh, near the end of the summer. Uh, so we've, we've done everything we possibly can to have a, a health, uh, put health first. And uh, so we're ready. I, for some students um, who, you know, they were making plans back, uh, many signed leases for, for off-campus accommodations in January prior to the academic year starting. So uh, some of them are trying to find accommodations for this January. Those who elected to, to live at home maybe uh, far away from, from campus in some instances uh, for the fall term. And, and so they're trying to find ways uh, to live closer to campus for January.
0: Will unvaccinated students be allowed on campus and in classrooms? Uh,
3: so as part of our policy, there, there is an exemption process. There are a handful of exemptions where students who are unvaccinated, uh, they do need to, to test uh, uh, maximum every 72 hours, every 48 to 72 hours. So they are tested frequently. Um, and there's a handful of those cases out of the uh, uh, 35,000 students that we have. But the rest are fully vaccinated.
0: Sean Van Kunit is our guest, Associate Vice President of Students and Learning, Dean of Students at McMaster University. We're chatting about uh, the um, students getting back into class at places like Mac and even uh, Mohawk up on the Hill. What feedback have you heard from students over the last number of months?
4: Well, you know,
3: you talk to any one of these 35,000 students and they, they all might have a slightly different opinion. There's a large number who are excited to be back. Excited to be uh, have a a social life, a a university, a full university experience. Excited to be back in the classroom. Um, Many will also, in that group, um, enjoy some of the benefits of being online and having some of the freedom that comes with that. Especially if it's a course where um, it's an asynchronous environment where you can uh, watch or listen to a lecture at your uh, at your own leisure. Um, There are some who don't want to come back. um, Certainly, uh, who. May have disagreed with the vaccine policy, uh, elected not to, to become vaccinated, and so certainly there there are the people out there, students out there, who uh, have not agreed with some of the decisions that have been made. But I think overall, uh, very positive reception. Uh, students are are at university for more than just um, lectures. Um, and they want the full university experience, and that's what we intend to give them come January.
0: So for those students who do not attend in-class learning for whatever reason, whether they're against the policy or uh, just don't feel comfortable being on, on campus at that time, uh, they will be uh, able to take their course online?
3: Well, not, no. Um, it, we are back to to. I'll, I hesitate to say the word normal because <laughs> nothing is, is quite normal. Yeah. But um, we are back to as close to, to normal as you, you can get. I mean, there will be masking, of course, that will continue um, in the classrooms but and elsewhere inside. Um, but there, we do have a limited number of uh, remote learning options, which we would have had uh, pre-COVID as well. But really, if, you, if you're a full-time student with a full course load, Um, You're going to need to be on campus. We we you know, the minute you start trying to say, okay, well, anyone who wants to stay off, we're going to design uh, the curriculum around you. Uh, The whole model, of the whole system begins to to fall apart a bit. So um, we are we are moving um, as assertively as we can into the in-person environment and and students are expected to be back on campus.
0: Uh, We have one more minute, Sean. Does the arrival of the Omicron COVID-19 variants throw a curveball into McMaster's plans at all?
3: Uh, well, it's, it's probably a little too early to tell what might happen there. I mean, I think the whole world is waiting to see uh, how transmissible this variant is, uh, what the effectiveness of
4: vaccines
3: um, is on on the, the uh, on the variant, and uh, and what the severity of illness is. So, I, I would hope that over the next uh, week or two, we will learn more about that. And of course, the entire world is going to need to respond in different ways to that. At this point, we'll continue along the path we're on, and uh, and we'll we'll adjust as necessary, as will the entire sector and the country uh, as we learn more in the next couple weeks.
0: Mr. Van Kunit, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: That is Sean Van Kunit, Associate VP of Students and Learning and Dean of Students at McMaster University. As we chat about getting students back into post-secondary classes, some of them are... Not all are, and that uh, will likely, as you heard from Sean, change in January.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Job vacancies are soaring in a tightening labor market here in Canada. Listen to these statistics. Canada's unemployment rates back in October was 6.7%. In September, there were more than 1 million job openings in this country. So, what gives? Marvin Ryder is professor of business at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Marvin.
5: Good morning, Rick.
0: So what is going on with Canada's job market?
5: Well, you know, I'd love to tell you that there's a sky is falling and we should all be panicking, but I think this is the a unique uh, intersection of a couple of things. Uh first September. If you go back to September, people have forgotten that we were uh, going through. We just sort of flipped a light switch and said, okay, all you restaurants, no more limits on uh, uh, seating. You can sit anywhere you want inside uh, as long as you're, you're vaccinated. You casinos, you can reopen all the hospitality sectors. Come on back to business as usual. So they suddenly went, great, we've been held back for a year and a half. Let's go out and rehire people. So there was a massive wave of job uh, uh, openings uh, shoot onto the market and then at the same time we had people looking for work but they were still collecting something called the CRB this is the Canadian relief benefit and they looked at those job offers and said well now wait a minute some of those aren't full-time jobs you need me for one shift here you need me for two shifts there hmm, you know, uh, does that mean you're really open, or is this a temporary thing? Are we going to go back to lockdown? Because we've seen that before. So for a, a time in September, we had a lot of jobs that nobody seemed to be wanting, even though we had unemployment in the country. Now, Friday, we're actually going to get jobs data for the month of November. It's gathered in the middle of the month, and I think you'll have seen this situation start to improve Partly because the CRB disappeared, people weren't able to collect that, so now they were sort of forced to get back in the job market. But also, those people who were offering jobs became more confident and now started offering full-time opportunities. So this is more sort of looking in the rearview mirror, a unique moment in Canadian history, not something I think which is symptomatic of the way things are today.
0: So it was really a double whammy of you know uncertainty on whether businesses would stay open, the number of hours employees were getting, plus you know it's probably worthwhile that I just stay home and collect CRB instead of going into a job which may not last very long.
5: Right. Just to give you a sense of it, uh, Now, people said, oh, yeah, you're just paying people. People don't want to work. They want to be on the dole. Well, not necessarily. Some of these jobs, let's suppose you've got 16 hours at $15 an hour. That's $240 a week. CRB was paying you $300 a week. So, you know, do you get off that to take this job, but maybe in two weeks they'll announce we're locking down again. Then you've got to go back and you've got to reapply. And there's bureaucracy there's paperwork as you do it. it is not an easy transition I think I'd rather stay where I am until I can get an opportunity that pays me for let's say 32 hours worth of work or 40 hours worth of work and I think businesses began to realize that but on the business side they weren't sure they could stay open either that's why they were only looking for one shift two shifts a week so we had this unique coming together I don't think we'll see it again very soon but it is part of the part and parcel of reopening an economy
0: Marvin Ryder is our guest, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, read a quote from Benjamin Tall. the deputy chief economist at CIBC Capital Markets who said that this scenario is not going to be resolved tomorrow. Is it going to take a few weeks or a few months? And uh, on top of that, now that we have a new variant of concern, how does Omicron play into all this?
5: Right. So uh, let's split those into two halves, if you don't mind. Would the situation resolve itself quickly? No. Sorry, if you flip on the light switch suddenly and you need a million people, you, you don't get them processed in a week or two or even a month or two. So we expect those those gaps, those jobs that are unfilled to remain strong probably through to early 2022. It takes a while to bring all of those people back, to process all those people, uh, but without the CRB, this will probably close a little faster. Omicron, though, <coughs> is uh, that fearsome thing out there. We just don't know what it means. The initial reaction is to panic. Oh my gosh, it, it's uh, more uh, contagious than the other variants. Oh my gosh, it's more deadly than other variants. They're going to lock down again. They're going to lock down. That's why we saw sun on Friday, the markets react the way they did. The price of oil dropped more than 10 percent in one day. Now you'll thank me for that because now price of uh, gasoline dropped 11 cents at the, per liter at the pump. But uh, it's caused a tremendous ripple of concern. Everybody in the healthcare community says, just give us a little more time to study Omicron to figure out what all of this means. Yes, it has a lot of variations. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going back to March of twenty twenty, but that's what's on the market's mind. Are we have we lost a year and a half? Are we going to have to go back to the situation we faced in much of 2020. And that's the the nightmare scenario for everybody. I don't think it is. And I think we need to give the medical community time to study this. But that's the concern. So again, you know, just as we're heading into 2022, we thought the economy would get better. Omicron could set us back completely.
0: Chatting about Canada's jobs markets with Marvin Reiner, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How has the inflation rates uh, played a part in this? Or has it?
5: well i'm not sure it does now the inflation rate again it's been running hot and and uh, I, I i don't want to minimize this obviously when you look in the paper and you see that the inflation rate is something like four point three percent when it's the all-in rate I, I look at what's called the core inflation, which has been running around 3.5%, a better number, but still higher than we'd like it to be. But much of that is because we compare prices in one year to the prices the back one year. And a year ago, we were still a relatively locked-down economy. Inflation a year ago was actually at some times, in some months, negative, meaning prices had fallen. So some of this is simply due to a bounce back. And, and I'm going to join the governor of the Bank of Canada in believing that this is temporary. But it will probably again take until the first quarter of 2022 to get the numbers back down to something more reasonable. So you've got a certain amount of panic going on, both within ordinary citizens but also within businesses who are looking at the cost of being open and saying, my gosh you know that's three uh, percent higher than it was last year can i simply raise my prices three percent gosh i don't think the markets going to absorb that so they're feeling a pinch another reason why they don't necessarily want to bring back full-time employees they'd rather bring them back part-time until they're sure they can afford them as I say, you know, we've never gone through a situation as we have in the last 18 months where we shut down the economy as much as we did and then tried to bring it back as fast as we did. And this is some of the growing pains we're going through. Give it a little more time, and I think it'll sort out. But we get this data monthly, and while we're in the middle of it, it sometimes seems a little worse than I think it will be in the fullness of time.
0: Marvin Reiner, thank you, as always, for your time and your expertise on this. Uh, we will chat with you down the road
1: will do. Glad to be with you, Rick.
0: That's Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Big news from the Federal Green Party as a new leader, an interim leader has been chosen. Dr. Amita Kuttner is our guest, the new interim leader of the Green Party. Amita, good morning. How are you? you. you? I'm fantastic. Um, Listen, you are the the youngest the first transgender, the first East Asian person to ever lead a national party. How does that feel? Does that mean anything special to you?
6: It's, it's an honor. It's a huge responsibility to represent well, at least a little bit while I'm in this position and, and show the world a little bit more of a different perspective.
0: After uh, a bunch of party infighting, uh, a poor showing at the ballot box on September 20th, the allegations of racism and discrimination, it seems like everything happened uh, to the Green Party in 2021. What drove you to jump into this role?
6: Well, I think the Green Party is really important. Um, A lot of Greens are basically like my family. So it's been difficult to watch the last year. I really, really, really want to help us get strengthened again Get our party resilient and back ready to fight on the national stage, and I feel like I had the right skill set for the moment, so I stepped up.
0: There is going to be a leadership contest within six months. What are you going to focus on between now and then?
6: A couple big things. One's definitely fundraising. One's doing some unification and healing work, and making sure we can get back to a common vision. Definitely also preparing the leadership contest to run well. There were some hiccups last time. I am looking forward to supporting caucus in the House, of course, and organizing with members across the country.
0: Amita Kuttner is our guest. They are the new interim Green Party leader. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin here with you. Uh, you mentioned fundraising. How, how big of a task is this going to be?
6: Well, I'm not sure. I only started, you know, a day and a half ago in the job. I'm not exactly clear what the picture is, but I actually think it's going to go really well. A lot of Greens across the country are really ready to get back to work. And once it's clear that we're heading in the right direction, I think we'll be back to it.
0: Is the tougher part rebuilding trust within the party? How big of a mountain is that going to be?
6: Well, I think rebuilding trust in general is is a difficult thing. And so there's there's a few different sorts of trust. There's the trust in the organizations. There's the trust externally, and then there's the interpersonal trust. And I think that's where we start the willingness to reset up our commitments in in working with each other in community. Is, do you
0: do you have a, a feeling? Maybe it's even a gut feeling that there is some belief that this Green Party can reach new heights, and maybe not this year or even next year, but sometime down the road, there's going to be. Uh, more traction and a lot more traction for this party to become even bigger than it has been in the past?
6: Oh, absolutely. And I think once we get on track to really communicate what we're about, how we're different, how important our voice could be and will be in Canadian politics, how we see and and show people a vision of the future that is sustainable in the long term and taking care of people's well-being and about community representation, I I think we'll grow.
0: You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. We're in discussion with new interim Green Party leader, Amita Kuttner. Um, you're in B.C., you ran as a candidate in, in Burnaby, uh, North Seymour. B.C. has had an incredibly tough year, whether it was scorching hot temperatures that basically wiped out towns in British Columbia, now mudslides and record rainfall. How's the province doing? How are people doing in B.C.?
6: I'm really worried. I think it's tense. There are still people struggling from the first storm, and we just got hit by another one. I personally lost my home and my mother to a mudslide in 2005 in North Vancouver. So, this is really bringing it home. I'm feeling for every single person who's going through something that I am way too familiar with.
0: What happened in 2005?
6: So there was an atmospheric river that hit, and there were some issues with the slope that, well, my family didn't know about, and it came crashing down on my house at 3.30 in the morning on January 19th. Killing my mother, completely wiped out the house, and sent my father to the hospital with permanent, well, injuries. He was completely smashed to pieces.
0: Wow. And were you there at the time as well?
6: No, I was in California in boarding school, and if I had not been, I would not be here today. Wow.
0: And, you know, there's an example of how, you know, climate change has really changed our life. It
6: changed your life. Yes, it did. And, you know, this is what we're really working for, wanting to get communities ready, wanting to make sure that all of our systems are prepared to actually live through this, but also make sure that this isn't getting as bad as it can be.
0: Amina, I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, best of luck in uh, rebuilding the party. I know it's not going to be easy, and I know as interim leader, there are some challenges ahead, and maybe six from uh, months from now, that interim title gets uh, wiped away, and you're just party leader. Uh, congratulations on the new gig, and uh, as I said, best of luck going forward. Thank
6: you, and I hope not.
0: There you go. That is Dr. Amita Kuttner, the interim leader of the Green Party of Canada, has, uh, well, number one, some big shoes to fill with Anime Paul, who I thought won over a lot of uh, potential voters during the leaders' debates, even though that did not translate into many seats or many votes for the Green Party. I thought Paul did a fine job during the election given the circumstances and the cards she was dealt with uh, amita cutner has not only big shoes to fill but a mountain to climb in terms of rebuilding the party and whether or not she is the go forward plan for the greens uh, whoever is at the helm is uh, got some heavy lifting to do from here until the next federal election which who knows with well, a minority government could come at any point now we know it's probably not going to be This year, given we already had an election and probably not next year, but maybe in 2023, you know, if certain parties feel that they could take advantage of a particular situation or if the Trudeau liberals stumble or whatever the case is, a non-confidence measure is implemented in the House of Commons and the government falls, uh, we'll be right back At the polls, where the Green Party will be and all that,
1: that remains to be seen. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: A tasty event in Niagara, dare I say, on tap this coming weekend, where you can savor the flavors of various wineries, breweries and distilleries. It's called Sip Niagara. Here to chat about Sip Niagara is Jeremy J. Parsons. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Great to be on with you. So what is Sip Niagara? <laughs>
7: well, Sip Niagara is my wife's and my brainchild, and it is the tastiest festival in Canada. So it's going to be featuring, as you said, tons of wineries, breweries, craft cocktails. We've got Dwayne Gretzky playing, which is Canada's number one cover band both days. And, of course, the world's largest Caesar bar.
0: So this is your baby.
7: This is our baby, and I think everybody needs a fun festival to go to after the past, what, 18 months?
0: Yeah, I, I can use one. <laughs>
7: <laughs> so how did, how did a this couple of good drinks.
0: Yeah, how did this come about, and is this, is this the first time it's being put on?
7: This is our first year. And so, um, originally, we were chatting with uh, Niagara Benchlands in the town of Lincoln about filming our Amazon Prime show, The uh, Gastro Guru where we were going to be doing the world's largest Caesar bar, and uh, they came back to us and asked if we'd be interested in creating a brand-new food and drink festival for the Niagara region. So we <laughs> said yes, and we decided to call it Sip Niagara.
0: Wow. it's uh, I mean, it takes some, obviously, planning and organization and a little bit of guts to <laughs> hold a brand-new festival amid a pandemic.
7: It does, but you know what? We have had so much support. The amount of phone calls, emails, DMs on Instagram, which is sip.niagra, please follow us. And we have just had so much enthusiasm. People are ready, and they're ready to get out and enjoy themselves in a safe, obviously in a safe uh, environment. And just to kind of get back and let loose and have some amazing food and drinks.
0: Yeah, talk about the safety precautions. Uh, I'm assuming uh, you know um, vaccination requirements or either proof of vaccination is needed. Just talk about a little bit about what uh, you are uh, offering to the public and how they can remain safe.
7: Oh, for sure, absolutely. So um, it is completely outdoors. We have 105,000 square feet, so everybody can social distance, which is terrific. Um, Vaccination actually is not required because it is completely outdoors. However. We do encourage people to wear masks when they can't socially distance outside. But um, definitely, you know, all of the COVID checkpoints are there. So if you're not feeling well, please decide to stay home. But if you're feeling great and want to get your sip on, we are ready for you.
0: You mentioned the world's largest Caesar bar. How large <laughs> are we talking here?
7: So it is going to have over 180 ingredients you can literally make the most personal Caesar you've ever imagined. We've got amazing hot sauces like Tabasco. We've got Alchemy Pickle Company is giving us like kimchi brine. We've got a
2: massive
7: olive bar. I love olives. So Krenos has got all of their stuffed olives there and marinated olives. We've got jerky. We've got all kinds of stuff. And it's with Tito's Vodka and Grey J Canadian Whiskey, which is awesome.
0: We're chatting with uh, Jeremy J. Parsons, co-creator of Sip Niagara, which goes this weekend, and uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. You also mentioned the gastro guru. What, what's this about?
7: So this is basically a TV show about what I do for a living, So, which is traveling, putting on events, cooking, creating cocktails, the whole bit. And so the show follows us in real time, and it is a reality show because we are filming a real first-time festival so it doesn't get any more real than that that's for sure and that's going to be streaming next year
0: wow so for tickets where can people hop on to people
7: can hop on to sipniagara.com they can also message us on instagram at sip.niagara and uh yeah we've got caesar bar tickets sampling tickets and of course tickets are also available at the event itself but it's always a good idea to get your tickets in advance and pick them up. I will call
0: Very much so. The event goes December 4th and 5th. That's this Saturday and Sunday at the Vineland Research and Innovation Center, both days 10 until 6. It sounds like a lot of fun. Congratulations, Jeremy, on thinking about this, executing it. And I'm sure it's going to be a blast for everyone who attends. Thanks for joining us today.
7: Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. See you sipping.
0: That is Jeremy J. Parsons from Sip Niagara. Check them out online, sipniagara.com. You can get your tickets as well. It sounds like a truckload of fun and comes at a pretty good time during the pandemic, right? during those winter months. Another variant of concern is here. Uh, You know, just to have a great time if you are heading to SIP Niagara.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: There is a new league out there. No, it's not Kung Fu Fighting, although that would be kind of fun to watch. And we kind of do watch that with MMA and UFC. But we've had, you know, professional boxing for decades MMA, UFC for a while, pro wrestling obviously has been a thing, Uh, bigger in the early to mid 90s, or uh, 80s I should say, well even in the 90s as well, Uh, pro wrestling, but there is a new league that has erupted onto the scene, and it is pillow fighting. No, this this is not a joke. This is 100% real, and I'm pleased to be joined by the CEO of Fight PFC, Steve Williams here on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Steve. Morning, Rick. Tell us about this pillow fighting league.
4: Well, pillow fighting is uh, our uh, probably the most uh, ancient combat sport, if you could call it a combat sport. Um, probably the ne- Neanderthals did it, you know, and their dad would come in and wake them up in the morning, and he'd whack them with a stuffed goat, you know, goat skin. And um, we're just taking it to the next level.
0: So how did you take pillow fighting, which when I think of pillow fighting, I think of a pillow fight in a bedroom or a basement or at a slumber party. And how did you make a league out of it? Tell us about the steps that you had to undertake to create this league.
4: Well, um, the, the the biggest evolution in pillow fighting comes with the actual uh, device, which is the pillow. And what we did was we, we made it uh, uh, basically combat ready. We, we added straps, um, ripstop nylon. Um, we turned it into a to a real uh, fighting implement, and um, it's got a little bit more leverage on it than a regular pillow. And when you when you hit somebody with it, it makes a loud pop noise. So it's um it adds to the excitement when you actually hear something as opposed to a kind of a softy pillow. Um, even the uh, bare knuckles fights, you know, they have uh, when you hit somebody with it, you're, or when you're watching, you don't really hear anything, mm-hmm. you know. But the, the pillow, uh, the way it's designed now, it, it's got a nice big smack to it, and it just adds to the whole, uh, experience. But, um, what we did was we recruited, uh, uh, some MMA fighters from the area here. We're in South Florida. And, uh, this is kind of the MMA capital, uh, of the world from a, a training perspective. And, um, we've, we've got boxers, um, we've got, you know, hardcore MMA fighters. Um, we've got champions. Um, we, 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 um, we, uh, put, uh, we did our PFC one PFC two. Um, we've got our PFC three coming up in January, uh, 29th, uh, that we're excited about. That'll be a pay-per-view event. And, um, in between then we we were invited down to Sao Paulo to put on uh, three events down there that, that, uh, we did last month. And, um, so we're just keeping it going, having the events, uh, trying to have them every two weeks. And, um, have the, the larger quarterly uh, PFC events uh, each quarter with the championship with a big prize.
0: So you mentioned so uh, you, a great response. Yeah, obviously, if you're, if you're getting uh, pay-per-view events now, that that's uh, you know really shows that there is an appetite among the viewing public to consume this product.
4: Yeah, definitely is. We've got um, hardcore MMA uh, clubs around the, around the world actually inviting us in to put on uh, pillow fights in between their their you know their MMA fights. So it's being well respected and well accepted, um, which is something we we knew what would, would be, you know, very important, especially in the beginning, that people would take it seriously.
0: Yeah, that is certainly a mountain, a mountain to climb because, you know, the, the first thought about pillow fighting, as I mentioned, is, you know, some kids in the basement or at a slumber party, but this is, I mean, these are real athletes kind of going at each other with these, you know, new kind of makeshift pillows.
4: Oh, yeah. And we could see, you know, some of the fighters that have fought three or four times, you could see that each time they fight, and obviously they're practicing in the middle once they kind of get the hang of, you know, how to swing a pillow and Mm -hmm. how the dynamics of it, that they get, you know, better and better and better at it. Well, some some techniques and some things that we didn't even think of yet.
0: Steve Williams is the CEO of Fight PFC. We're chatting about a professional pillow fighting here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How do these pillow fights work? Is there a point system uh, similar to boxing?
4: We started out with boxing system, but we we ended up uh, settling on um, a more simple system, which uh, kind of grades based on the quality of the hit um, to the head. <laughs> Um, we, we eliminated body shots because they're, they're just a little bit too boring. You know, if somebody hits someone in the leg, it it doesn't really do anything. It needs to be a headshot, um, and with power. And, um, there's a variety of, of scoring. Um, there's different scoring depending on how you, you hit as well as the, um, which type of hit you did. Okay. So you
0: got like style, style points is what you're referring to. Exactly. What makes a great pillow fighter?
4: Uh, you know, what we've seen is that the faster you are, if you're quick, if you're more of a lumbering, uh, you know, giant, um, it's it's not going to you're not going to be a good pillow fighter. The the smaller, thinner guys, your your welterweight guys tend to be the the better pillow fighters because they're just quick and they can they can react uh, faster. They can also dodge. Uh, the dodging of it is really great when you see somebody that's uh, kind of a, a, a Floyd uh, Mayweather a guy that can. They can dodge a punch, and you see him do that with a pillow. It's really exciting.
0: Yeah. should make mention that women are also involved in pillow fighting, too. So that's good to see that, uh, you know, all sexes can duke it out.
4: Everybody. Everybody.
0: Steve, I wish you nothing but the best. It's uh, The videos are exciting to see, and uh, we'll see how this explodes uh, in the future. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Out of Steve Williams, the CEO of Fights PFC, yes, pillow fighting has reached the professional ranks and uh, launching into pay per view